The views, ideas, and content of well seekers and their guests are their own opinions, and you should always seek additional professional help around any of the issues discussed here on Well Seekers. Hello, and welcome to Well Seekers as we continue our series on rising and coming back from cancer. I'm Lucia, and I'm so honored to be here with you today. Um, we are continuing our series with episode four, talking about sex and cancer. I know that sex is a topic people don't love talking about. Sex and money usually bring up a lot of shame for multiple reasons, both individual, societal, oftentimes family as well. But sex is one of those things that I just think is one of the most beautiful, truly God-given things that we can participate in and that brings such a sense of connection and joy and pleasure and all of these things that we oftentimes pivot away from because we're scared to talk about it. Now, when it comes to cancer, sex is one of those things that's even less addressed. Um, if you've had a cancer diagnosis, even with your, your doctor, they sort of, you know, lightly brush over things that have to do with sex, and then they sort of send you on your way. So if you do have a cancer diagnosis or support someone who does, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it just doesn't have to be that way. Um, so in today's show, we want to offer you some support and resources and some conversation about sex and cancer and all the complexities that come with it. Sarah Cowan, who was on the show last time, agreed to come back and we're so thankful for her and her expertise and her willingness to have this conversation about cancer and sex. It's been proven, you know, I love research, um, sexuality and intimacy has been shown to help people who face cancer by helping them deal with feelings of distress um, when going through treatment. The flip side of that is that oftentimes when you're going through treatment, you don't want to have sex or you can't have sex for various reasons. So how do you get those same feelings, that same intimacy, that same sexuality while you're going through this treatment, if you're struggling with some traditional classic ways that we typically identify as um, being sexual and being intimate? That's what this show is all about. First, I want to start with the basis of you're not alone. So many people with cancer have faced some of the struggles for a lot of people with cancer in the pelvic region, for people who are going through chemotherapy, radiation, there's the, the huge toll of infertility that is not talked about, not mentioned. Again, I, I feel like it was sort of slid in there. I know people who have been in this position too, where they've had to face not only their cancer diagnosis, but this possibility of losing the possibility of having children which is a show in and of itself, aside from cancer, but anyone that has been through and in that position, I haven't talked about it a lot, but I've been in that position as a cancer patient, but they know the devastating toll that that has on you individually, on your family. So there are so many layers to this and we are going to be unpacking them all with Sarah Cowan, who's going to join us after the break. As always though, if you have questions, please, please connect with us at Wellseekers on Instagram, Facebook. If you follow us, you know that we spend a lot of time on Instagram. So find us there and don't be shy to ask. Don't be shy to connect. And we don't have the answers 
all the answers, your doctors, I would so encourage you go back to your doctors, go back to your doctors, go back to your doctors, but we're always happy to connect you to resources or do what we can, even if it is saying, Hey, ask your doctor this. Um, because of course you heard the disclaimer, we're not medical doctors and we're not most importantly, your medical doctor, but we do know a lot about conversation connection and bringing out some of the things that need to be talked about and giving them some light. So we'll be back with Sarah Cowan to do that here on Wellseekers. You're listening to Wellseekers, a show where the journey is just as important as the destination. And we are back on Wellseekers with our guest, Sarah Cowan. If you've been listening to this series, you know that Sarah was on our last show and she is the CEO and founder of Own Your Cancer Coaching. Um, We have all of her links below. If you've listened to the last show, you know how phenomenal she is and how much expertise she has over 15 years. And one of the things that came up on the last show is a topic about, and I personally, until I had someone in my family diagnosed with cancer, never even thought about this, but have definitely never seen this come up in searches that I've done on cancer. So I'm so excited about today's show. We are talking about sex and cancer. Hi, Sarah. Welcome back. Hi, Lucia. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We are so excited about this topic because no one talks about it and Um, (laughs) No, when you share stories, that's where change can happen and relation can happen and shame can end. So we just love, love, love this topic. You may be able to answer. I know that with my significant others, the cancers that have been most close to me are breast cancer and colon cancer, both of which affect sex (laughs) and aspects of sex. Are there other cancers that, is it all cancers that affect sex, would you say, or tell us a little bit more about your experience around sex and specific types of cancer? Sure. So, I mean, um, some types of cancer um, affect, you know, your sex life more than others. Obviously, if it's in like the pelvic region, or like you said, the breast cancer, it affects your body image. Um, And then chemotherapy can affect your libido. And you can have um, different side effects, such as early menopause, and for men, um, a decreased libido. So certainly all types of cancer can have um, effects on your sex life. There's also the changes within your relationship with your partner. Sometimes cancer can bring people together, but unfortunately, sometimes it can drive people apart. And your partner may have had to take on the role of your caregiver, which can change the dynamics of your relationship, right? So, and they may have also seen you at your worst, which can affect your self-esteem and confidence. So there's a number of different ways cancer can affect your sex life. And I'd say that it's, it's different for everyone and especially the way you perceive your, your body after cancer. So I definitely want to get into that and ways to try and help with some of those body related challenges that come up. But I have a few logistical questions that were never answered, never even talked about, honestly, from all the oncologists that I've heard of and known and sat with. These were never even brought up except in passing, right? The first is, the first I'd like to talk about is chemo and infertility. Okay. It's really interesting. I've known multiple people with cancer that have gone through multiple rounds of chemotherapy from from teenagers to um, older adults. And obviously in the older adult population, it's not discussed, but I know that in this, the appointments I've even specifically sat in, it's like before chemo started, it was like, oh yeah, by the way, go to the fertility center because you need to talk to them before we start chemo about preserving your fertility. Cause you're going to lose it. 
It was just right. sort of like <laughs> dropped in, in passing. On top of everything else you have to deal with. <laughs> right. At that time. Of course, it makes sense. You're putting toxic chemicals in your body. So I, of course, there'd be some ramifications. But how does it impact fertility? Do you know? Yeah. So chemotherapy can make you sterile, unfortunately. Unfortunately, it is a, a conversation that your doctor will have with you, as well as radiation therapy to the pelvis. If your ovaries are in the treatment field, then um, you can become sterile as well. So if someone is facing this diagnosis, And they are worried about their fertility. Is there a chance, because I've read different things online and you may not know this, but is there a chance that you'll get your fertility back? Don't quote me on this. I think it is possible in a small um, number of people. Yeah. Population. But if you, if you're very serious about, you know, wanting to start a family um, after chemo, I I highly recommend uh, seeing a fertility specialist first. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I think that one of those main things is know that it's connected, right? There is a relation to losing your fertility when you start chemo, which people don't, people don't often talk about, but tell me more about menopause. When does that happen? I think you said in the beginning when you were saying for almost like forced menopause, it sounded like. Yeah. Early menopause. So um, a lot of breast cancer or some ovarian and cervical cancer are hormone driven, meaning we want to eliminate as much estrogen and progesterone in the body that may be targeting these cancers, causing them to grow. So what we do is put people on hormone therapy. So hormone therapy and chemotherapy can both put you into early menopause. When that happens, um, women will experience all of the side effects of menopause. And in a lot of people, actually, it can be reversed. Some people say that they do start menstruating um, a little while after they've finished chemo. But again, if you've had radiation therapy to the pelvis, then it's another or surgery where you've had um, reproductive organs removed, obviously, then um, that's not going to happen. There was also online as I started to search some, I went down the, in the fertility rabbit hole, which then led me to more questions just because I'm curious by nature. They were talking about not only libido, but if someone is on chemotherapy, there was conflicting Reddit, by the way, don't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> a lot of misinformation on there. They were talking about, can people who are on chemotherapy even have sex? Because there was some talk about, obviously there's fluid exchanges and chemo being um, absorbed by your partner. Have you ever heard of that? Or can you shed any light on that? Um, I've never heard of that. I've always heard um, that doctors would encourage sex all throughout cancer treatment. Um, There are some types of radiation treatment where we would suggest not having sex while you're on treatment because especially for females, it's called vaginal stenosis where your vagina gets tightened and we recommend using dilators to kind of keep the scar tissue from forming. Other than that, no, chemotherapy 
I mean, it does decrease your libido and it can cause, you know, early menopause, which causes vaginal dryness. And for men, it causes, it can cause erectile dysfunction. But other than that, no, I've never heard of passing a chemotherapy drug onto a partner. As far as libido, can you speak to some of the situations you've heard about in your experience or just know about from your expertise? Yeah. So, um, I mean, mostly it's not necessarily the treatment itself, but more of the the mindset that comes with a cancer diagnosis. And like I mentioned before, your body image and, you know, the five stages of grief that you go through, you know, stress and anxiety and depression, that kind of thing can really affect your libido. For men, say prostate cancer, for example, or any receiving any radiation therapy to the pelvis, say for colon cancer, bladder cancer, testicular cancer, that can all really affect your nerves and your ability to have an erection or to ejaculate. So um, there's a lot of different options available, but certainly it will affect your, your libido. What are some of those options, Sarah? It's, it's patient dependent. So everybody's different. Some prostate cancers are advanced to the point where men would receive a, it's called a hormone treatment where they try to decrease the amount of testosterone in your body and that can have an effect on your libido but um there are options for men that can no longer have an erection say due to surgery if your nerves around around the prostate were affected but through the surgery then there are penile implants there are different types there are say a pump you can use or i've seen like this chain thing where you can actually manipulate the the penis to go upwards. So for most of these men, though, the thing is, like, even though they're not able to have um, an erection, they're still able to enjoy sex. And some of them are still able to ejaculate um, and have orgasms. So there's just everybody's so different. And it's really important that, you know, you talk to your doctor about your options and to be comfortable in in speaking about it, because sex is a really important um, part of your life, even after cancer. I think it's people have so much shame around talking about sex, but um, I I like what you just said. If we could get, we could dive into it a little bit, which is you may not be able to have an erection, but there are workarounds, right? Um, it, It doesn't need to be sex in the traditional way that people think of sex and there are always alternatives, right? And not only talk to your doctor, but it sounds like, there's creative alternatives, right? Um, Especially if ejaculation is possible, but not erection. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people aren't even used to communicating with their partner about sex. So it's difficult for some people to communicate that and start having those conversations. It's probably awkward at first, but really learning to voice that your concerns and listening to your partner it can really improve your sex life overall. You're right. There are so many difficult conversations when it comes to sex. I've said this before on the show, but I just, I think sex is beautiful. Even saying to your partner, right? I understand this could be a tough conversation for some people to to even identify for themselves. Like, well, I can still feel the pleasure of it. I just (laughs) cannot hold an erection. So how can we work around this? Right. That statement alone is so 
vulnerable for some people. So I want to be aware of that, that it's a lot easier said than done, but what a powerful for, from the male perspective, and we'll get to the female perspective in a moment, but what a powerful conversation to have, to admit that vulnerability of, I, well, I still want to enjoy this and can enjoy it, but just not in the, the way that we have been. So what can we do to enhance this? Right. Exactly. And I mean, there are marriage counselors and sex therapists that you can talk to that might help um, initiate those conversations and they can help you problem solve solutions for when sex is painful or, as you said, exploring other ways of being intimate outside of sex and cultivating the romance. (laughs) Absolutely. And um, in our last segment, we're going to hopefully talk about some of those those ways, too. So from the female perspective, right? Because it's a lot easier to identify male perspective because it is oftentimes correlated to having and holding an erection. Can you talk a little bit about the female perspective and experience? Certainly. So for women going through cancer treatment, you know, if it's for going through chemo and we lose our hair and, you know, we're losing body parts like a breast or our, you know, cervix or ovaries, it it takes a huge toll on um, the way that you, you see your body and how comfortable you are. And, you know, a ton of my patients always say like, I don't even know what it look what I look like with, with no breast. I mean, I haven't even looked in the mirror since. You can imagine how difficult it is for them to to get naked in front of their partner or to feel like having sex or feel sexy. Of course, we, we mentioned before the early menopause, which can really affect your libido and um, your your ability to have sex because of vaginal dryness. And then we talked about vaginal stenosis, which is literally where your vagina tightens to the point where it can be extremely, extremely painful. But again, it's really important to talk to your doctor, your healthcare team about that because there are ways around it. Do you know what some of those ways are? Because that does sound extremely painful. Yeah. So what a vaginal dilator is, it's like a plastic rod and we recommend that you use them three times a week for 12 months um, after having cancer treatment, because what happens is with radiation is the tissue in the vagina becomes um, very tightened and it forms scar tissue. And if you don't use these dilators with uh, like a water-based cream, then it will be like that forever. So it's very important that you start with the smaller dilators and kind of work your way up while you're going through treatment and afterwards in order to prevent that from happening. And Sarah, I'm sorry, can you explain why that happens? Sure. So if you're familiar with um, the side effects of radiation, say to the breast, you know, you get this really bad skin reaction, which is like a sunburn. Well, if you're having radiation to the pelvis, it's like a sunburn inside your vagina. (laughs) So the skin becomes very dry and tight and a scar tissue builds because it's like a moist area. That sounds so painful. So painful. It's just so layered and complicated, isn't it? (laughs) With cancer treatment. (laughs) It really is. I mean, again, to like this beautiful, pleasurable act now becomes something else you have to investigate and work on and change, right? Right. So we've talked about libido, we've talked about fertility, we've talked about talking to your doctor because again, I don't know if what your experience is there just on the professional side, but this is not something doctors really offer information on No, um, <laughs> yeah, on your side as well. Yeah. 100%. Just as much as patients are uncomfortable talking to their doctors about it. I think a lot of doctors or healthcare professionals are uncomfortable talking about it as well. I mean, we're only human and there are 
usually in most cancer centers, they will have like a, a booklet on, on sex and cancer or like maybe a class, which can be really beneficial. So even just asking your doctor if they have anything like that that they can give them is a start and it might open up the doors for a, a deeper conversation. Besides pamphlets, because I, I honestly, I saw a pamphlet on everything, acupuncture, nutrition. I did not see a pamphlet on sex. Hmm. And I was at some leading institutions. <laughs> Maybe this yeah. is something to advocate for here in the States. But where else <laughs> would you suggest finding resources to keep going in this conversation? Everything cancer related, if you're researching online, it's always best to go with the government websites or the, like you said, the leading um, cancer centers um, like MD Anderson, or you can go to like cancer.gov, cancer.org, the American Cancer Association. All of those websites actually do have a lot of information about sex and cancer and vaginal dilators and penile implants and stuff like that. But they'll also have, most of them have information on just different ways of being intimate and workarounds because sex is, it's it's such a, there's so many health benefits to it. And even though it's not discussed a lot um, with your doctor though, it's, it's, it's really important. Mm. I know we only have a few minutes, but can we talk a little bit about some of the challenges you've seen people run into pertaining to body image, the body image side of things. I know you mentioned, obviously, with breast surgery, um, I'm sure you've had patients that have had challenges around that and the change in their body. Can you talk about some of those just for listeners who may be going through this to know that they're not alone in those experiences? Certainly. So when you're first diagnosed with cancers, let's say breast cancer, you know, there's so much information thrown at you and you have to make so many big decisions, but you're going through quite an emotional time in your life. And one of the biggest things with breast cancer is if you're having a mastectomy, do I get um, implants and do I get them right away? Or um, is it better to wait until I'm finished treatment? Because especially for radiation, you know, it just said it, it damages your skin, it makes it tighter. Um, so there's so many difficult decisions that need to be made. And what's important is to get as much information as you can and do as much research as you can into these areas before you make these decisions and even get a second opinion if you don't, if you don't really trust the opinion of your healthcare provider. So <laughs> long story short, for um, body image issues, it can really help to be more communicative with your partner or even talking to a relative or going online and finding a support group. There are support groups that help women deal with body image issues after cancer. And you can listen to other people's stories because as I said, it can be quite traumatic and you don't really realize it when you're in the moment, how it really changes your body. I love that there's support out there for people that have experienced this and specifically with breast cancer. Are there other cancer types that you've had, again, just from experience that people know they're not alone, that you've heard people struggle with when it comes to body image or sex. Um, I know you mentioned pelvic type cancers. Maybe you could speak a little to that. And then any others that people may just not have correlated, but there's someone in this experience right now struggling. This just made me just brought something to mind. There's a stigma that older people or people, you know, 60 plus don't have sex. And I think that's um, a big reason why a lot of healthcare professionals 
don't speak to that age demographic or that population of patients about sex or even people that uh, have been married for a long time. You know, sex is a very healthy part of a relationship. I have a lot of patients that say, you know, when, when we ask them if, they, if they're interested in receiving information about sex, they're like, no, I don't do that anymore. Or, but then there are the um, patients that are really concerned about it. And you can tell that they, they, they haven't received enough information on it. So what I would really recommend would be to, to just speak to somebody about it, speak to your healthcare professional. And if they're not willing to share enough information, then go online and see what, what type of um, support groups there are out there. So what I heard you say in that, Sarah, is that this is not exclusive to a certain age. It's inclusive to everybody and every type of cancer, even though it's more prevalent, maybe because obviously if you have a pelvic type of cancer or breast cancer, those are parts associated with the actual physical act of sex, but it's not just that type of cancer. It's really every type of cancer and every person struggling that could struggle. Exactly. I mean, a cancer diagnosis is, it's devastating, really. It's, um, it's, it adds stress in several areas, every area of your life. I mean, of course, it's going to affect your sex life. If you're, if you're stressed, if you're feeling like cancer has completely changed your life in a negative way. So I know we only have another minute. Any final words for those that are in this situation and challenge that you haven't shared that you want to share? Sure. I can, um, again, provide you with some, some links that people can. Yes. We would love it. We would love (laughs) it. Great. And as we mentioned, sex doesn't have to just be intercourse. There's several different things you can do with your partner. I mean, just, you know, cuddling, um, releases so many endorphins and going dancing, watching a, a movie together, having a bath together, giving each other massages. Like there's so many different things that um, will bring you closer to your partner and open up the opportunity to have um, more conversations around sex or how you're feeling. Absolutely. And hopefully in our outro, we're going to get to some of those different ways to create intimacy, even in the face of a cancer diagnosis. Sarah Cowan, we have all of Sarah's links below please reach out to her, connect with her. She's incredible. Thank you for being so generous with your time and your experience and your expertise. It's truly, truly invaluable. When someone's going through this, I can say from personal experience, just to know that you're not alone in this. So thank you. Thank you, Lucia. We'll be right back. I'm all secrets. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless, and with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data, coast-to-coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each, including hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers, we got you covered in Canada and Mexico, plus text and data in over 210 countries worldwide, all with the best phones or bring your own that's pretty awesome get the best user experience on mobile at pulsecellular.com thanks for being part of the seekerhood we couldn't do this without you now back to the show Welcome back to Well Seekers. Thanks so much again to Sarah for being with us. Um, one of the things we talked about, there are a lot of books out there about, you know, I'm a book person by now, um, about creating intimacy without having sex. But just to give it some simplification, I wanted to give just a few ways before we end the show. 
I almost said before we let you go, can you tell that I am um, a professor? Because <laughs> I have students. Um, so we wanted to give you a few ways to offer you some ideas about how to create intimacy without having sex if you can't have sex. So, and this is in the, in the realm of sexuality. So sleeping together and cuddling, right? Holding each other, touching each other, right? And not just massage was going to be number two. So I'll mix it into one and two, not just massage. Massage is beautiful and can be sensual. And we'll unpack that in a moment, but sleeping together, running your fingers down various parts of each other, touching certain parts of the body. And, you know, if you, if you have a therapist, talk to a sex therapist about these specific regions, you can Google them too. These erogenous zones that do stimulate sexual pleasure. So there's ways to create and stimulate sexual pleasure and connection without actually having sex. So connecting to those through, through touch um, is a big way to create intimacy with one another. And the second way, massage. And this isn't, this can be just rubbing each other massage wise, but even just creating an experience, you can get a massage table on Amazon. And I know this because I have one um, for $70, um, which is a chunk that is, you know, that is a lot, especially when you're going through cancer treatments and you're already spending money on other things, but for $70, you could get that and you could stow it away in the closet and you can create this beautiful experience with one another, or just even buying massage oils, right? Just doing something that makes it a little extra special to connect with one another um, and to have that intimacy and some sort of connection that is and arouses a sexual experience. And then the third way is, I actually like this, but it's more communication. So sharing your fantasies of intimacy, including sex, whatever those are, right? Is it role play? Is it just specific areas you want touched? So having a conversation and then seeing if you can do those things um, that you're having a conversation about. So just three ways to create greater intimacy. If you can't have sex in the way that most people, well, if you can't have sex because of some of the reasons that Sarah and I were just talking about, but you still want to connect with intimacy um, and have a sexual experience with your partner. Oh, so much to get through. And we hope that this conversation helped you enhance connection with yourself and your partner and gave you a little hope and a little um, shared experience to keep you nourished through this journey that we know is just so challenging and so layered and so complicated. Such important conversations. Thanks for being here for them and, and with us in this journey. Um, from all of us here at Well Seekers, we're so honored to have you as part of our family. Thank you for being a part of ours. Thank you for letting us into yours. And we will be back next time. Of course, subscribe to the show if you haven't. Find us on Instagram at WellSeekers. Um, WellSeekers.com is our site as well for more great info and resources. From all of us here at WellSeekers, we'll see you next time. And um, thanks for letting us be a part of your journey here on WellSeekers. How would you like to join the conversation? Email us anytime at hello at WellSeekers.com. 